All right. We are here for a bonus episode of the Wandering Years podcast. Uh, we have ditched Andrew Grissom. He's still alive. Don't worry. Barely. <laughs> He's hanging in there. Um, uh, but uh, no, Andrew, Andrew's doing, doing very well and doing very good things. Um, but we're back, and I'm here with my good friend Nathan Qualls. If we have any uh, day one fans out there, he was here on the one of the last episodes of the Perspectives podcast. Um, yes, we sir. talked about C.S. Lewis and had a, a really, uh, really wonderful conversation there. And at that conversation, right afterwards, I went and proposed. No, I talked to my now fiance's parents, asking them to uh, if I could have Courtney's hand in marriage. And so the whole time Nathan and I were having that conversation, I was like sweating bullets. <laughs> Pretty sure it was like that night. Too. It, yeah, it was that night. Like <laughs> we awesome. we finished the, the podcast, and then I was like, okay, I need your help. I need your advice. And I said, no, sir, go do it. <laughs> um, but Nathan is uh, a, a really a really good friend, and um, our our stories came together. Uh, kind of in our our wandering years, um, we were both uh, in Memphis. Had played. We were washed up Division three athletes, and we were both working <laughs> working for our dad's uh, businesses, and um, <laughs> str- struggling with uh, our calling and um, and questions of dating and um, of of and on fire for the gospel, but not feeling like we had like a real outlet for that. And God uh, put us together. And um, since then, you've moved halfway across the country yes, and I uh, are married. Yes, I am. And uh, I'm still here, but... Yes, you are. <laughs> I'm, I'm engaged, and God's been doing cool things. So, um, Nathan, tell the people hello. Hello, people. Nah, it's good to be here, man. Um, I'm, I'm glad to be back visiting and get to see you and other friends, and it's just it's great to be back, and it's great to be doing another, another podcast with you, yeah. man. It's something that speaks to both of our hearts, and... Um, like you said, we were struggling to find our our passions and our places when we were when we first met, and it's cool to see us both in in our different paths start to sort of figure it out and find yeah. ways to piece that together. So I'm really glad to be here and be back doing this with you, man. Yeah, me too. Uh, so something that uh, you're the first guest that we've ever had on the on the Wandering Years podcast. Let's go. Um, and I, I promised him 10 percent of the proceeds for revenue that we make. So. Make, make this viral. We're going to commercialize this. <laughs> That's not what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, American dream, gospel, same thing. It's the same thing. <laughs> um, Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're going to do this thing called the four H's. Um, okay. So it's going to be... Uh, I'll just I'll just start with the first one. Okay. Hometown. Hometown. Good. I'm glad you're doing just one at a time. I'll do one at a time. My squirrel brain doesn't do four in a row. Um yeah, so hometown's Memphis. Grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. Born and raised here. Um, was here my whole life up to 18. Then went to school in Birmingham. Moved to Colorado after college. Moved back here, and now I'm in Salt Lake City. But Memphis, born and raised. I already went to a Grizzlies game my first night back. So let's go. Uh, I live and die with the city still. Yeah, the true measure of a Memphian. 100. Um, percent Bad and barbecue. That's right. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, the second question is. Uh, heritage. So, just a brief snapshot of your family. I'm Irish. Kiss me. I'm Irish. Are you really? Uh, I got a lot of Irish in okay, me. Well, it makes well, sense, right? It does make sense. <laughs> I mean, you're quick. You're quick wit <laughs> and stubborn and <laughs> bound to do something stupid. And something at some ridiculous. Point. <laughs> Don't um, worry. We can edit, edit. We can edit that out. No, no need. No need. Let them know who I am. <laughs> but um, yeah, no. I, uh, my family. Uh, Philip Qualls, Hugh Philip Qualls II, my father, but um, parents uh, both lived here most of their lives. My dad has lived here his entire life and has no intention of going elsewhere, but um, they both split when I was super, super young. I was like one year old, and then both parents remarried, and there's a, there a lot of stuff to dig into with that, and a lot of yeah. stuff to deal with with that, but man, it made me who I am and learned a lot. and. God really use that in my story. So, um, mm. without getting too much down a rabbit hole, because I could totally talk about that for an hour and a half, but yeah. we shouldn't. Not not today. Not here. Not now. But yeah. um, that that's sort of briefly my heritage. So, got sort of two sets of parents, but my step parents are awesome as well. Cool. So, uh, really blessed to have great step parents. Also, yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, we'll get into stories later. Yeah, yeah, we will. Um, <laughs> <laughs> too much. Um, Third question is your history, so your church history. Did you grow up going to church, or when did you start going to church? What was that like for you? 
So, sort of grew up in the church, sort of didn't. Cool. So, grew up, I mean, it was Tennessee, and it's the thing to do, right? So, went yeah. to church with family, sort of sparingly growing up, but was never involved. Went to a Christian school in town, um, and so everybody I knew uh, went to church. And uh, to be honest, I just never took it seriously. I saw a lot of people I went to church with and how they lived outside of Sundays and mm-hmm. sort of had no interest in doing that. So, um, yeah, really sort of grew up around the church, but not in it, I guess. Yeah. And then got to college, and uh, everything in my life sort of blew up <laughs> my sophomore year and um, decided that there was something more. And so started digging into faith seriously for the first time. And then met a guy in Birmingham who uh, actually went to my high school and then went to another school in Birmingham, was a little bit older than me, was living there, and was like, hey, man, we're just going to try and live the gospel out. Do you want to come? Hmm. Come do it. And so went, and they just had a house church, and I went to school early and stayed with them for two weeks. And hmm. there's people living together for the gospel. Yeah. And it was uh, the coolest thing I've ever seen. I was like, this is what I'm missing. And so wow. became a Christian that that year and got baptized in his backyard. And oh, then, man. Uh, I think I was, what, my sophomore, my junior year. So it was an idiot for another two years in college. <laughs> and then actually went out and worked at a church. First church I was ever a membership, uh, member at, I worked at. And so went out and was a youth pastor at a church in Colorado for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, loved that, but was super broke and missed my family. And yeah. Moved back here to Tennessee. And yeah, now we're at a little, little sort of non-denominational church in Salt Lake. And so I'm definitely a small church, yeah. heavy community guy. So uh, yeah, that's sort of my church history. Sort of grew up around it, not in it, and then found my found my way into it, or found myself in it. Didn't yeah. really find my way. Right. The way sort of found me. Yeah, it but, found you. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. So yeah. Uh, yeah, that's sort of my my story with with churches. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so the last H is hero. Who is your hero? They can be alive or dead or fictional. Or Jesus. Or Jesus. That's just like, that's not, a good, that's not the right answer. Yeah. No um, Sunday school answers here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you have a mirror around? No. Um, <laughs> I'd say my father, for sure. My, my dad grew up in a really rough environment. Um, so I guess I, I'm going to cheat and say, too, real, like, yeah. realistically, who I know, my father, 100%. Yeah. He has been an amazing dad who did not have any reason to be an amazing dad. Mm-hmm. Um, really did not have the background. His dad was a deadbeat. Um and just the way he treats people and looks out for his family and just is able to get things done is, uh, yeah, he's my hero, 100%. Mm-hmm. And the other one would be, uh, that I've not met would be C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Uh, strictly, I know you and me have talked we about share, this far share, too many times. Share heroes. But the way that the, the, the man was just um, gifted with being able to not only see the gospel but communicate it yeah. in a way that just lights up the soul and the sparks of flame inside your soul it's just unbelievable and put it in the story uh it's unreal so i guess that gift was given to him by jesus so really i'm just saying jesus <laughs> but the transitive property yeah of, now, uh, now we come full circle spiritual gifts exactly uh <laughs> yeah just the the writings of c.s lewis are just yeah you can't say enough about them and their influence on not just me but church history yeah so uh, yeah, th- I'd say those are my two heroes, 100%. Awesome, man. Yeah. Well, glad to have you on, and uh, it's going to be a good conversation. Hope so. Hope so. <laughs> yeah, let's get into it. Okay. So today, this podcast is actually take two for us. We, yes. <laughs> we, we tried this again, or we tried this on Zoom uh, many months ago, and our initial idea for the podcast was... Um, you had been to a church service, and the whole point of the message was why are young people leaving the church? Mm-hmm. And uh, and the pastor went on to talk a lot about you know apologetics, uh, a lot of information, um, a lot of good things for uh, the intellect, and that um, we we were both like yeah like that's important. We like we really need that, especially right. in our like secular age where uh, we really do like the gospel has to be reasonable and has to be rational and like meet people but we're like man that, that's really like missing something mm-hmm. because you and I were both um, uh, devotees under C.S. Lewis and we, <laughs> like we know like like Lewis had brains uh, better brains than almost anyone yep and yet for all the philosophy that he wrote um, he wrote more stories 
Yep. And it's those stories that really captivated people. So we're like, man, like, I wonder what we're missing. Um, but the framework for our conversation today is we don't want to be critical of the church. Right. If you look at the image of the church in the last days in Revelation, she is a bride uh, berated on all sides um, at being attacked and um, trying to um, be destroyed. And the last thing that we should do is say, is to add to that. Right. Right. We should be tender and compassionate and graceful um, towards towards the church. And so our, our hopefully, the take two here, <laughs> we won't just, um, you know, point out what's wrong, but maybe just encouragements for um, what ways that the church can live up to being who she is. Right. And, I mean, if I, if I can add to that, yeah. the, the first take was 100%. Just it, it turned into almost equal part attack, equal yeah. part point towards truth. Right. And the point is not to attack. Right. The point is to build within because it, it, it is criticism, I'd say, you know, right. or critique, critique within that. But yeah. um, not with the the heart of attack and anger and um, right. sort of resentment, I guess, right. or bitterness. It's more so to say, hey, like, here is the mark we should be aiming for and here's why. Yeah. Um, and that's good. And calling calling into that as opposed to calling out something that is wrong. And so I think that's something that uh, personally myself did very poorly. <laughs> take one, um, we aim to to do a better job of that, and take two, and I think the heart will will show out. Yeah, show out in that um, in this second take. Yeah, I, I think so too. Yeah, we're we're sadder and we're wiser men. <laughs> yes, and, exactly. Uh, more more compassionate. Many sad poems many, to be written many, by William. <laughs> many sad many sad poems uh, have since have since been been produced. Um, I've actually kind of been in a, in a writer's block recently. <clears throat> Uh, I might. You must I, be happy. Well, <laughs> I, I am pretty happy, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that more uh, later on. But maybe reframing this question, like, okay, so the statistics are out. Uh, young people are leaving the church, or the church isn't growing in America per se. I mean, it's exploding in Africa and in China. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, if you could kind of point to this like ideal, like, hey, what, like. What should the church be doing? Mm-hmm. Um, how would what, what do you think? Not sucking. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, immediate critique. Immediate critique. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Golf on a good foot. Uh, no, I. I mean, I think that it's it's multifaceted and it's hard to put into like a one sentence. Here's what. Yeah. We we need to be doing right. Um, but I think that. What we see outside of here is it's almost everyone I've talked to that doesn't live in the U.S. It's there is no choice. You have to take this seriously. Hmm. Like this has to be the centerpiece, right? This has to be what everything is centered around in your life. There is no um, Sunday Christianity there because your entire life you may be either persecuted because of it or it can like you don't know where your next meal is coming for and so you're bringing like it is central to everything right right? and i think that is something that our affluence here can really lead us into harm Mm. because there isn't a need for that you don't have to center your whole life on god because you have the answers Mm. right or you can you sort of convince yourself you do whether you know you do you know is a whole nother question entirely but um there's a severity to faith outside Mm. of here but with that severity, it's. I feel like when you hear severe and serious, um, it it brings up these ideas of stern and yeah. disciplinary God, right. and um, you know some some of us have had some bad issues with that in the past, right? Oh, yeah, <clears throat> and no one really wants that. It's, doesn't speak freedom, right? Yeah. When you say it, but the idea of the gospel is a paradox in and of itself. Mm-hmm. That also comes in, you know. Lewis, I can't remember the exact quote. I, I know you probably know it, but it's uh, he's talking about taking each other or being married with each other. He's like, "But well, 
rejoice or something with the merriment that people have taken each other serious yes. from the start. Yeah, right? I was actually about to say that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that is something that, um, in, in an effort to sort of make yep. Christianity easy, um, because you want to make it appealing. And yep. unfortunately, a lot of stuff in our country that shouldn't run like a business does run like a business. Mm. Um, it's sort of become watered down where it's you can you can make it easy Sunday Christianity yeah but that ease you miss purpose and you miss the real freedom yeah. right and you miss being able to step into that story and so I think this whole podcast is going to be fleshing that out because yeah. that's a lot of meat in a right. sentence that's not ex- fleshed out at all yes and I think that's sort of what we're going to do here but um finding joy and freedom yeah. and just pure merriment yeah through seriousness right right and yeah. I think that's that's a big part of um, what was missing from that specific sermon that, mm. I, that I heard that day yeah um, it's not facts right people just don't want to listen to the facts regardless if they're there or not right yeah yeah um, I butchered that quote by the way I'm about to look it up so I can, I can the, make sure Lewis, I get it right the Lewis quote yes <laughs> that, well, it, it reminds me of this one this one Chesterton quote where he says, um, the outside ring of Christianity is like uh, dour, dull priests in robes. But he's like, when you get to the the inner ring, he's like, you find that old pagan life abounding with dancing joy and like real men drinking real wine. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, oh yeah, like you can you, you have uh, like Lewis says, Zoe. That's the spiritual life, as distinct from bios, which is just biological life. Okay. And um, and zoe is actually the Greek the Greek word for life, um, which is cool because uh, I just I took elementary Greek this semester, <laughs> so I was like, oh wow, Lewis didn't just pull that out of out of the bag. Um, <laughs> but the amazing thing about God is he freely creates a universe and creates us in a plan of sheer goodness. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of it is that we would be drawn in and share his divine life. Yes. Um, each different denomination uh, has different words for this. Uh, for us, it would be like sanctification. Um, the Catholics would say something similar. Eastern Orthodox says it's theosis. You're actually becoming divine, not yep. because you're divine, but because you're reflecting so truly um, this this life from God. And so, like, um, part of maybe where we've missed faith, we've missed that picture of you know Trinitarian God freely creating the world to bring us into His life. Is a lot of our um, preaching has really been tailored just towards the intellect. Yes. Um, Like, let me show you this or teach you these five steps or give you this new insight and you can acquire this, like, wealth of knowledge. Um, But Dallas Willard has this phrase and then um, philosopher James K.A. Smith, he says, what that does is... It basically treats people as brains on a stick, <laughs> right? Uh, that the the only they're living into this like enlightenment idea that uh, I think, therefore, I am. I am a Homo sapien. I'm a thinking thing, and that's that's <laughs> the pri- the primary source of my identity. And uh, the gospel presents a much more human picture of of who we are. That oh no, we're not just intellects. We're body like love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Like all of that mm-hmm. is what you are. And part of I think the the um, magic recipe for doing church is um, loving and encountering the full person and sharing that like divine life with them. One hundred percent. Hundred percent, and I mean that comes in. I think there's two different ways of looking at that. Um, number one, just that phrase you were saying, "I am a thinking thing." Yeah, and that is my identity. Yes, that sounds like a ton of fun, right? <laughs> like, I mean, it's just like okay, that's great. 
Um, and we have so much mental health issues now. Do we really want to be like primary thinking things? Really? And maybe that's why. Yeah, maybe because too much is going through there right. at once. That's a, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's like argue with anyone about basically anything. I mean, we're, we're obviously not going to get into this here. Like think about politics. Everybody can believe one thing all the way over here. Another person can believe something all the way over there. And they both are convinced they are right. Presented yeah. with the same exact facts. Yes. Why? People don't think with their brains. They don't. <laughs> You're right. Hardly ever do people think with their brains. A case, right? study, a case study has been the last two years of uh, our life. <laughs> exactly. And But it's people think with their heart. Yeah. So much more than we like to say, right? And so it's when people focus on facts... I'm like, you're not going to convince anyone by arguing with them and presenting them with facts or with your side or this. Or like, you you have to get people to ask themselves questions yeah. to try and change minds, yes. right? And that goes for everything in life. And like, listen, the last thing I want to talk about is politics, but it goes yeah. for the same with the gospel as well, right? Yes. It's um, it's a heart thing, it you is. know. It's uh, it, it's a want to thing, and I think that speaks to what we were talking about earlier. You know, it's. It's not a lack of knowledge available to people hmm. to follow Jesus. There's plenty of things you can point to as facts, but guess what? The other side has their facts yeah, too, right? right. Um, but there's a, there's a lack of a desire. Like, why would I want to do that, yeah. right? Um, and there's a couple of different things with that, but all of it revolves around the person of Jesus. Yeah. Right, and I think the main thing, you know, there's one side of it. Um, one side of it is hate in your personal life, mm-hmm. in and of itself. <clears throat> Excuse me. Here is like, here are the benefits, mm-hmm. of, like following Christ, which is a, sort of a logical way of doing it. Like, yes. look at these fruits that have come here, that yeah. and another. But even to get there, you have to step all the way back to. This is the story that's being told through yeah. Scripture and through the Gospel, mm-hmm. right? Which is a God who created His people, and He created His people to be able to feel, and His people mm-hmm. to be able to love, to mm-hmm. choose to love or to not love, right? Which is uh, something I've actually run into a lot lately: is uh, yeah. you know, problem of evil, choice, suffering. Oh man! Um, created people to be able to do that. People chose not Him, yeah. and this is a story throughout all of history of Him deciding exactly how he's going to bring his people back to himself. And when you look at the the Bible as a whole and then the story of Christ specifically as a love story, mm. it changes a lot. It does. Right? It's not just a guy that did something as a technicality, right? So that we could technically be like God could snap his fingers and everything be exactly how he wanted to, right? Mm. But I think we underestimate what he did in creating us with free will and yeah. the ability to choose to love him or to not yeah. and he's been committed to that from the very beginning mm-hmm. and becoming the person of Christ and dying on the cross to then be resurrected yeah. and provide that for us is the story of this is how far I will go yeah. to meet you no matter how far you're unwilling to go yeah. to meet me this is how far I'm willing to go yeah. right and it's just like any superhero movie in that like there's something in us that when our hero dies but in like this ultimate sacrifice manner there's something in us that rips and then when you see them come back to life it's like it just there's something in us that just wells up and Mm. sparks up right Mm. Um, I know you and me would say Star Wars together and I'm a super nerd about that oh yeah and so then that's when I was dating Sarah pretty pretty <laughs> newly at that point. Yeah. And she looks over both of us just like We're both crying, weeping. Just weeping we, and we're just like this is so beautiful. It's the gospel. It's so beautiful. <laughs> that's Jesus. Right? But um that's when you when you point them to the person of Christ and like you really reckon with what that is. Like yeah. it's like despite everything that you've done, I'm meeting you here. Yeah. Like I'm like, I see you, I know you, and I choose you. Yeah. Now I'll do this for you to prove how much I love you. Mm-hmm. It changes everything, right? And there's there's this quote by Michael Cusick. He, he says, um, he's talking about like doctrine, right? Which is what we're talking about, right? right? Doctrine and letter of the law, here are the facts, yada, yada, yada. I failed finance, all that stuff, right? right? He says, when you stop teaching doctrine for which there is a place, like you and me are saying, yes. there is a place... And point people to a person, 
point people to Jesus, to the Trinity, and you engage them in actual relationship with a person, things wake up. Because if you think about a man who has no knowledge of his heart and no attachment to his emotions, and yet that same man falls in love, he's going to wake up and he will feel things mm. and things will change. Mm. Right? And that's what we're missing with this logical enlightenment yeah. Christianity. Um, and the thing is the person of Jesus is there and the beauty of Jesus who is always on his throne and always there no matter what. Yeah. Like think about who is always there no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody. Yeah. Right? Like it's like my father like I said, he is my hero. He's my hero because he's always been there. Yeah. There are things I can do or my father will not be there. He'll say, nope, that's enough. And I would not blame him in the slightest, right? Because it would take a lot to push him to that edge. Right. And I got that bit. Okay, I get it. Um, and we worship God who said, nope, you nailed me to this cross yeah. and yet here I am. Yeah. And there's a beauty to that that, um, that has to be found, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think that that... I mean, you've hit you've hit on so many things that I think are essential to um, the the church recovering who who she was made to be. Um, mm-hmm. a, a big piece of that is, um, yeah, aiming towards the heart, um, whether that's uh, in the pulpit or whether that's in the small community groups um, mm-hmm. that you're that you're in. Not not just teaching a lesson, but uh, doing like life together, like Bonhoeffer said. Hundred percent, and um, and the image that I that I, I like to use is that our, our hearts are like compasses that are pointing towards a kingdom, mm-hmm. and uh, everything that you do d- does something to you, and um, so true. Yeah, I mean, it's so it's so true, and so uh, our our hearts we're aesthetic creatures that are captivated mostly by stories. And then our hearts point to that desired end. And part of, uh, I mean, a huge part of what we should be doing is presenting the gospel as a beautiful story yes. that, their, that their hearts long for. Yes. Um, there, uh, this, this church father, I think it might have been Oregon or Kiprian, I can't remember, but they were always... Um, interpreting things allegorically crazy so most times off the mark like so different than what we do today like the reason why Moses uh, broke the first tablet is because and they have all these crazy explanations but he said um, uh, whoever it was I can't remember he said the reason that that God uh, cast Adam and Eve out of the garden and set them where they could still see it is that their hearts would always desire it mm-hmm. that they would never forget it Mm-hmm. And that that desire would be the thing that points them points them home. Um, and so uh, in churches, I was actually speaking to one of the pastors here this morning, Mike Weaver, and he said, "You know, Will, um, people don't need information; people need transformation. Yep. And transformation happens when you present that that picture of the gospel, whether yeah, whether it's in a sermon or whether you are living out that story in your own life to people." in a way that makes them desire something more. Um, and just as like a, a case study to where we can see like the effects of this, um, one, of the, one of the greatest anomalies of the last like 20 years in American culture has been Harry Potter. <laughs> yep. Um, <laughs> like when the world was getting more and more naturalistic, secular, atheist, uh, here comes this story about a wizard and a chosen boy Mm-hmm. Uh, who goes against the powers of darkness, and um, more and more people, uh, more people have read Harry Potter than have read the Bible. I mean, it's I mean it's just astounding. But the reason is is because it presents this Christ-like hero um, living out the mythos of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, because cultures at all times are a part of they're either there's a fine balance of mythos and then reason like logos. And our culture has been way tilted towards reason, and our mythos has like been starved out. Yes. And like Harry Potter, and before that, Narnia and Lord of the Rings back in the fifties and sixties, they get this huge swell in culture is because 
we are our, our hearts and our souls beat to a, a drum of poetry, song, music, and so we really are caught and moved more than we're taught uh, and convinced. Yep. And I was just I'm, I'm writing this down right now as we talk, but the most logical of us are just full of emotions waiting to burst out. Oh yeah. Like we were saying before, people like to think the people who mo- tried the hardest to think only with their minds still become impassioned yeah. when people don't, right? Because there is emotion even behind that. Yeah. I mean, we one of the things that Lewis did an amazing job of was in that hideous strength writing a character who had voided himself of all emotions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember his name now, but I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. He had completely said, this is the science. You have to remove from oh, yourself okay. the emotions associated with yeah. your actions. What is practical, right? And yeah. I think it's pretty easy to see how that can play out in yeah. a pretty bad way in real life. Yeah, But um, it's completely inhuman, right? Mm-hmm. It, like truly inhuman. Yeah. To see that, um, but even with some of the things I know we hear about, like I, I consider nihilism the last cry for hope, right? The last yeah. cry to be proven wrong. So people are like, you know, that's just that's just how it is, mm-hmm. right? That's just just like I guess this is just how life goes. Like you just death and taxes, whatever, whatever. That it's really a cry for hope, right? And to take it to a personal anecdote with that, I, you know this well. Um, I may have said this, said this in the last podcast, um, but I struggle with depression and anxiety and yeah. did not know that and then got it real, real bad when I was out in Colorado. It was, um, it was pretty brutal and I was pretty much just sitting there thinking, like, there's no point to any of this like is god real um if he is real then i hate him and like what's like suicidal thoughts just it it was bad bad news bears and Mm -hmm. um when i was sitting there thinking nothing mattered and crying out nothing mattered and there was no point to anything i was not crying that out to cry it out and to declare it to the heavens i was crying it out as a somebody prove me wrong yeah right that was a nothing matters this is stupid there's no point really what i was saying is somebody please show me a point somebody please show me this matters and that's where i mean that's where god really met me right like that's where um christ met me and said there is a point and sort of guided me out through that complete sort of utter darkness Mm. Um, and really met me in that story, you know. And I think that's not just not just my my situation. I think it's a situation with a lot of people, right? Um, but you think with like like we were saying, you think with your heart, and um, Christ meets you in your story, right? He doesn't meet you in your head. He meets yeah. you in your heart. He meets you in your story. And you have to invite people into a story for them to be able to see that. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah. Well. Um, this is a point where uh, I want to latch on to something that you said and, and go in a uh, kind of a new new direction. But for, I, I, I know this from, from your story because you let me in. And like you've given me, the, the term I like to use, I borrowed this from Tim Keller, is a hunting license to know your story okay. and, 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 remind, and remind you of who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mentioned like the writing poetry thing earlier. Mm-hmm. Like I have been playing this like narrative in my mind that I, I mean I haven't written anything in like months and uh, nothing good and I'm like oh man I'm not a good writer or I'm not a good I'm not a good poet and you you get so like trapped in these this narrative because I mean that's what we are we don't we don't process facts uh, it's our imagination that's the organ of meaning that strings into a narrative that's the way we that's the way we see reality and for me, I was playing this this narrative in my mind. And this Sunday, I was doing the liturgy at church, and I, I wrote this pastoral prayer. And I was still just playing this narrative out of my mind, like, "Oh, this isn't good. Like, I like, why am I in such a slump?" And the feedback I got from it on Sunday was overwhelmingly just a positive. Right. And like these people listening were able to like see something true and real, and speak that back into my story, and then to change that that narrative in my mind. 
Um, but uh, I wanted to talk about uh, ch- changing narratives through stories. And for you, uh, when the light of the gospel shined in uh, that that depression for you, it came through through a story, mm-hmm. through uh, through Narnia. You want to talk about? You want to talk 100%. about that? A hundred percent. So. Um... Yeah, I, I did not know that was the direction you're taking it, but I'm glad as is yeah. <laughs> it's where you took it. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, to answer your question, originally I, I actually was sort of not. It was not through Narnia. I had sort of been hit by it, and I went into deep theology, which is something yeah. that I think is also important to state because that is doctrine and theology right. and thoughts, um, truly ideas yeah. taking root and that meets and true like reality of the gospel mm-hmm. hitting home, which again is part of the story as a whole, but there is a place for doctrine and right. there's a place for true theology, right? Yeah. I think it's important to point that out, which by the way, everyone should dig into the theology of the resurrection. It changes everything. Oh man. And really dig into it. Yeah. Um, uh, Lewis, uh, I'll interject real quick. Yeah. Uh, don't lose that thought. I won't. Okay. Um, it's gone. <laughs> he he gives uh, this image of uh, of a map and sailing because mm-hmm. he was speaking um, around at, at these air forces and Lewis is you know was a master at the mere Christianity the doctrine yes. everything and this one uh, sailor uh, gets I can't remember maybe in the air force and he was like I don't care at all about your doctrines I've met God in the desert like I had this experience and Lewis and then Lewis took this and was like. Oh no, you're absolutely right. But doctrine is the history of the church of all of these people who have met God like that mm-hmm. and have put it in, into words. Mm-hmm. And it's the map. So if like actually going about and getting in the water is experiencing God, the map, the doctrine is what helps. What's, what helps you really sail to a new land. Right. And so you have to have both. You have to have the doctrine, but you have to have the experience. Exactly. And that comes through a lot of these things that we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, so, with that, like, imagine sitting there and like, I want nothing more than to get on the boat and sail there because you've been hooked by the story. Yeah, and then you have no idea which direction, nowhere to go, in. and then that, right? and then that's where our culture is going right now from secularism to neo paganism. Yeah, people are just being spiritual and doing these things and having these experiences and taking. We were joking around like this is the Joe Rogan experience, <laughs> but taking DMT and Please like don't Joe. Me- <laughs> uh, meeting these like astral beings and like. Yeah. Uh, Culture's fascinated, but they're sailing out in the sea without a without a map. Yeah, and yeah. So doctrine has its place. Yeah, theology has its place, and it really enriches that. Right, it enriches the story. But um, so that's what originally drew me out of that. But when I got back to Memphis, I was going through some um, rough stuff as well, and had been reading nothing but really theological books and doctrinal books for a long time, and was loving it, but. Got to the point where I just I couldn't imagine opening opening up another page. Yeah, and I, 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 part, that would probably contributed contributed somewhat to the state I was in um, because I had to become a big part of my identity. Yeah, and writing through that had become a big part of my identity. But I uh, I just was sinking back into depression, and I hadn't yeah. felt it in a minute. I thought I was sort of on the other side mm-hmm. of it, and I. I Part of the hopelessness, and uh, for people who have had, have not had depression, it's really hard to understand. And you know, it's you just have to bear with me. And people who have had depression, I think, will understand this. Yeah, there's no rhyme or reason to it, mm-hmm. right? It's just you are where you're at, mm-hmm. and there's like you can talk to yourself all you want about this is. I mean, my life is great. Look at all these things that are going my way, and you can believe all that. And you still wake up like there's no point to this. Like, like how am I going to make it through today? And I was um, in that point, and I was reading through the Narnia. I was like, I, I can't read any more theology. So I opened up story. I was like, I'm going to read yeah. just stories and hope that it helps. And so I was reading through it, and there's this part in um, Voyage of the Don Treader where they sail into basically darkness right mm-hmm. it's just almost like a cloud of strictly darkness and um, nothingness and they sail in there and uh, they get in there they save this guy from the water and he's basically telling them this is a place where all of your 
dreams come true and everyone gets excited he goes no you don't understand all of your dreams come true and it's like you can feel like the reality the realization sink in that it's like what keeps you up at night what Mm. pulls at your heart that god forbid this could ever happen and you can you're just reading and you can feel Mm. that for yourself start to crawl in and to creep into the back of your mind and you can almost it's almost like you can hear it coming Mm. as you're reading through the book and then there's a an albatross flies in and uh Lucy looks up and she's sitting there and she sees the albatross and basically long story short it flies around and then leads them out of the darkness and back into the open open sails into sunlight um, but Lu- it says in there and Lucy knew that no one but her heard uh, the voice of Aslan say um, courage dear heart and it's like man it still gets me to Stop it, Nate. It still gets yeah. me tore up thinking yeah. about it, right? I mean, yeah. that's my first tattoo idea, right? <laughs> that's it. <laughs> um, but that, I remember I just set the book down and thankfully nobody else was around. And I just like started just weeping yeah. outside on the back porch by yeah. myself because I was like, that was it. That was that was depression summed up. It's just sitting there yeah. in this darkness and there's no... Mm there's no way out and then it was just it was like god was speaking to me through that like courage i'm going to show you i'm going to show you out and just keep like stay up and i mean that hit me and it was like that was a point things started to turn up for the better and there's no rhyme or reason to it there was was just that was the first time in so long i looked up and said things are gonna be okay yeah right and um it was not in a theology telling me why things would be okay, yeah. right? It was just God saying so. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think there's there's something to be learned from that, that sometimes God just says so. Yeah. Right? And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to hit more on some of the Narnia stuff, I think, now that you brought that up. That ties in really well with what we're talking about. But um, for now, that that's that yeah. story. I, well, I don't want to get going too much of a tangent. No, I'll uh, I'll, I'll carry it on. <laughs> yeah. Um, Lewis has this um, um, essay, uh, and it's called on... Uh, it's either on stories or on fairy stories. I can't remember which one he has it in. Mm-hmm. But he said, when he was... Like, when he was growing up, why was it so hard for him to feel the gospel? Mm-hmm. Like he knew it, he knew the truths, but he said for him it always had its Sunday school associations and pews and uh, High Church of England. Mm-hmm. It never ever pierced him like you were you're talking about. Right. But he said like, what if you could take the gospel and put it in an imaginary world? Where what if Christ is the incarnation in this in this other story in this other world, stripped of all of those biases mm-hmm. that we have built up that keep us from feeling it? Yeah. And um, Lewis said, if I could do that, then it would slip past our watchful dragons. Yes, the watchful dragons of our heart that that you know guard the treasure. Yes, and uh, the inner sanctum. And uh, he did that with Narnia. 100%. I mean, he, he he put Christ in a new world, and we read it with new eyes because it surprises us, it catches us off guard, and um and 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 draw and draws us in. And for me, uh, it was the same story with Narnia. It was the same story with Lord of the Rings, and just recently, um, the best example that I have is. Uh, in in that new show, The Chosen. I don't know if you've if you've watched that. I've heard of it, but we've not watched it. So uh, I I have not watched a real episode yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I've watched the Christmas um, nativity. It was like a thirty minute nativity um, narrative with my family last night, and I had like I work at the church. I've been I've been teaching on Advent the last four Sundays, and to see like. Mary and Joseph fully fleshed out as real people living in this narrative in this movie and the way that they spoke spoke right into my story because the things that Joseph was saying to Mary were the same things I've been saying to Courtney and the things that Mary was saying to Joseph uh, were the things that she's been saying to me and I, I found myself at the mercy of this story and then when Christ was born in it uh, I mean 
the the thing the thing that came to mind was uh, and he was the shot was him in in Mary's arm was because he was held we could be held yeah and just like seeing Christ as like a baby in this in the story once again just made the truth of the incarnation real and I just started like bawling yeah and uh, that's that's what stories do they slip past our our watchful dragons and, and hit us um, right in the heart and uh, it going back to the map and the sea thing there's this quote um, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name it's French it's like <laughs> it's and, and, and I, I'm not a fan of the French uh, I, if you're French and you're listening, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just a big Anglophile. Um, his name was Ant- Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. He said this, If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them given tasks and work, but rather to te- but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Mm-hmm. And then they'll do the work. Yep. And the thing about stories is they stoke up that desire and that longing and they slip past those biases and hit you in the heart. And so like maybe like we've been doing the right things in church. We've been teaching the information. We've been teaching expositorily. We've like we are loaded with head knowledge. But we're trying to get people to sail by giving them like things to do. Right. And what does it look like if we could teach them to long for sailing that sea that the end is life with God? Right. Right. And I mean, the thing is, once you stop looking at the Bible as a guide and you start looking at it as a story, yeah, that's what it does. And it's everything. so hard. That's why what Lewis does in the Narnia yeah. books and in the Space Trilogy, which is... The Narnia books on steroids. Yeah, you got to read the Space uh, it's, Trilogy. Um, it's so impactful to so many people because it, it like you said, it lets you let down your biases. Yeah, and it helps you like helps them slip past those watchful dragons. But you can do that in the story of Scripture yeah. too, oh, right? Yeah. Like, look at Jesus as a human being, right? He is fully God. He was also fully human. When you realize that someone who is fully human. Not only did these things with full knowledge of how much pain and suffering, et cetera, et cetera, but the pure empathy and emotions he felt doing things, right? When it says Jesus wept, it's like he felt that, you know? And the one that stands out to me the most, um, you know, two things I guess I would hit on. One, um, we can talk about that possibly a little bit later. I'm not sure if we'll fit in or not, but. When he, the first person he says that I am the Christ to is the Samaritan woman at the well, yeah. right? And he basically just called her out <laughs> on everything, right? When you know, it's um, there's a lot that we don't know about her story. What we do right. know is that she was ashamed of her story, right? And he said, "Hey, this thing that you hate and you're trying uh, to avoid, I know all of it." Yeah. And he called that out to say, to tell her she is still loved. And to proclaim himself as still loving her in that. Um, and that's meaning her in her story. She went back with nothing but her story to talk about. Um, which is which is amazing. But um, the one that really stands out to me is the Sermon on the Mount. Which is, sorry, I, I keep rubbing my eyes. I, I might cover my mouth and it's not pick up well in the <laughs> mic. But um, Sermon on the Mount, like the most impactful, impactful, Important, I'd say widely because it's the most important sermon that, that Christ ever gave. Um, and he comes down from that. And everyone loves to hype up the actual sermon itself. But what's amazing is that's like him saying, I am here. And what does he do to bookmark that, to end the I am here? He comes down and he touches a leper. Oh. Right? Yeah. And think oh. about in front of God. and It's like some now and sitting there, like in front of God and everybody, hmm. you did something that was completely disgusting was completely unclean totally socially unacceptable right like i don't know i imagine a pastor coming down and not even saying i was gonna say a pastor coming down from a sermon and doing a Fortnite dance at the end which is really just weird and i can 100 percent see somebody doing that i don't want to but i can but it's like something completely socially unacceptable to a point where it's like you get fired right over that it's so socially unacceptable right like coming down and making out with your wife at the bottom <laughs> maybe that's better right I mean it's really tongue and all 
Um, which there's no issue with, so I have no problem saying this on the podcast. Yeah, we're not thing. we're not Puritans, <laughs> but a lot of people could have issues with that, right? right it's right. like, oh my god, PDA. <laughs> god forbid you love your wife. Anyways, um, and that's the first thing he does. Yeah. It's something that is completely unacceptable, but right. Right. It's the right thing to do because he's sitting and he's saying, and I'm going to change the way things are done here. And he looked at it and he said, and I love you. And yeah. he and he touched someone who. Years, if ever, had felt human touch. Huh. You know how much we take human touch for granted? Uh, yeah. And that's the first thing he does to say, well, after his I am here speech, the first action is to touch a leper. Yeah. And do something, like just give someone the gift of human touch, and everybody thought it was wrong. Yeah. And, I mean, golly, right? Just yes. the emotions that start, like, can you imagine how that man felt? Yeah. Having not felt human touch like we said in years if ever like you can, not even a handshake much less a hug or a kiss from anybody mm-hmm. and he sits there and he, and he just lays his hand on him like how beautiful it's beautiful right yeah. and that sort of ties in I'm going down this road whether you like it or not <laughs> whether we have time or not no no I this is this is actually where I wanted to go because okay sweet I'm glad we're on yeah. the same page yeah um when you go, when you look at Narnia and you look at Aslan and Narnia, I think what we see in the church a lot and we see in modern Western Christianity a lot is this, ah, I ought to do this. I ought to follow God. Yeah. I ought to follow Christ, which is true, right? right? That's that's true. But that's where we're missing the point because when you look at Aslan and Narnia, what you don't see is a bunch of people feeling like they have to by any means. Right. No one feels like they have to. They may feel like they ought to. Right. And that might be how it initially calls people into things. I ought to do this. But when you see what you see once people have been around Aslan and once they um, can see it is they don't just have to. They, it's not that they ought to. They want, they want to, to be with him. Right? They want to be with God. And I think sort of what I, I wrote down talking about this was that, that the passions and courage and strength within them that the world basically convinced them was not there, that they should shy away from that, whatever they felt like they were called to do and their gifting was, um, what they longed to do. They all come alive in the presence of this beautiful terrifying yeah. being right like i love that he's he's a good but he is he's not, not tame he's not safe he's right. not tame good but he is not tame um and while they're sure they can't be that on their own somehow when he's there they know that they can indeed be that and okay. they see themselves not as they are but rather as they ought to be uh-huh. and as they are meant to be uh-huh. and just with him by their side they become who they never could be who they know they were meant to be yeah. and perhaps most importantly that they did not, at this point, they did not have to do it alone, oh. right? One does not leave Narnia believing that Aslan must be God, and as such, they ought to follow him. Rather, they leave reluctantly, hesitantly, <laughs> wondering if they leave, if they should be able to return again, to see Aslan again, yeah. because say they desperately want him to be oh. God, yeah. right? And that is... We're so busy trying to convince people that Christ is God and we have the things, the facts to support that Christ is God that we've completely forgotten. He will take care of that, right? And the point is to tell people his story so they will want him to be God, right? And that's the beauty of the gospel. Amen, man. I mean, I I really, really can't. This is what I speak about all the time and I can't say it much better than that. (laughs) Um, I had time to think. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I mean, in those in those stories in the in the Beaver Hut, when the kids hear the name of Ashland for the first time, it's like they're enchanted, mm-hmm. and like they feel like it's something meaningful. And yes. then that's when the quote goes: "Is he the is he the is he the king?" Or like, is he? I can't remember what it says. He's like, "Oh yeah, he's the king." Yeah, and uh, he's a lion. And uh, but um, and every time, and when when you get close to Ashland, he breathes on on you. And you mm. get filled with his spirit, and 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 you become what you were saying—that person that um, you ought to be, that he's calling you to be. And uh, 
bringing it back full circle to what we're talking about in the beginning, that's that uh, Zoe life with God. Yes. The Spirit. And when people come into a, a church, we should be so just eager to speak about the name of Jesus the same way that they, the beavers were speaking about Aslan. Right. And when people hear that, they're enchanted. That they're they're mystified. And 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 us as like me doing liturgy or the pastor speaking, like Jesus' name is beautiful and good and terrifying. Yeah, right. <laughs> and if we if we if we treated it like that, people uh, they might not be convinced, but they'll catch it. Yep. They'll be moved. Um, and, and can I say one thing yeah, on that too? Yeah. I think that one of the things that would help with that is not making Jesus safe. Oh. I think it might be the number one part of that, right? Because he's not, yeah. and we've made him safe. We've made him safe. Made him extremely safe. Yeah. And that's God, when he comes and he says, you are mine, and you say, I am yours, yeah. he comes for everything. 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 Yeah. And that's no small matter. But when you think about that, it's the same thing as I was telling you, I think, like when I got married, yeah. right? It was not this uh this um whimsical oh wonderful beautiful thing right i mean it's been great yeah i I love you babe in (laughs) case you're listening to this i love you but it's not that it's a commitment to no matter how bad you screw me i'm in yeah i'm completely in and i'm committed and it is hard and it is like there are things i do not want to do my wife just got covid yeah. Right, I had to sit there and like literally every meal, everything that happened outside of that bedroom, I took care of for a week for yeah. two people. The mess of two people, and I was doing all of it. Let me tell you, I didn't love it, right? But I sat there and I was like, I love you, and I've chosen this. Yeah. And I'm telling you, that with Christ is the reward is so much and more, right? And it's completely worth it for my wife. Yeah, it's so much more so worth it. Amen. with Christ right and but he's not safe he's not it's safe. not easy and and, and that's where the fulfillment comes in yeah we've missed the mark most I think at Christmas <laughs> we've, we've reduced Christmas to this comfortable little tale of warmth and look at the cute animals and <laughs> Jesus is a baby and we miss the utter harshness of that story man like them uh, being refugees, questions of were were they uh, unfaithful? Was was Jesus the bastard child? Uh, Rome forcing them to be displaced from their home, mm-hmm. and then Herod killing all of those babies. It's like you talk about that is not a safe story. No. Je- Jesus came in this world is full with war. Um, and then he's coming back again. And during Advent, we're like, everybody's like, we want him to come back. It's like, do you really? Like, do you really want him to, like... <laughs> yeah, like, think about what <laughs> think, you're saying. Think about that. But, I mean, that's... Uh, it's it's like we said, it's understanding the story. Um, and, and, I mean, the point that you said, too, like, yeah, Christ is the judge. He's not safe, but he's good, and he touches the leper. Right. And for us, like, we've been talking about the story of the gospel... Um, and a God being the author of our salvation and giving us a place in that story, uh, we also need to talk about uh, our stories. Mm-hmm. Like you we were saying, like Jesus knew that leper's story. Jesus knew the woman at the well story. He said, no, uh, you've been with five men, yeah. and this one that you're with now is not your husband. Mm-hmm. And uh, the most terrifying thing is being known, but the most deeply... I mean, the thing that we most deeply want is to be known. Yep. And Jesus looks at us and goes, I know your story. I know your story. And I've come down here to envelop your story in mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you said that um, uh, the woman was the first one that Christ said, I'm the Christ to. Mm-hmm. The first person who goes back and actually calls Jesus God mm-hmm. uh, is Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Yep. And it happens because Jesus knows his story and he goes, Blessed are those who don't have to see and still believe, but to you, Thomas, touch my wounds. Yep. This is this is for you. I'm meeting you in your story, and my wounds are gonna touch your wounds. Your story is gonna touch my story, and I'm gonna draw you into my life. And like that's what we should be doing in church. Knowing people's stories. 
showing them the wounds of Christ and showing them how Christ's story touches theirs and draws them into this. I mean, just the best adventure romance story of ever. I mean, ever. Right. So, and I think the, a big part of that, and something we'd be remiss not to mention, is so do it. Yeah, do it. Right. Like it's when we say church, the church is God's people. So if there's a church problem, there's a people problem. Yeah. Guess who's the people? Yeah. <laughs> you and me. Right. 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 Um, it's the same thing. I thought the last time we did this, we did not do a very good job of making sure that it was communicated we're not attacking the institutional right. institutional church we're saying we're not pointing away from anything we're pointing towards something yeah. in Christ and in the gospel and in the beauty of that story and um, so people do it you know it's not the, it's not a pastor's job to go out and be the church it's mm. the church's job to go out and be the church it's your job it's Amen. my job it's Amen. our parents job it's our wife soon to be wife yeah. <laughs> job right it's um, it's all of our jobs to do that. And so, like, how do we create that where we are? Like, ask mm. ourselves that question. Mm. Um, how, how do we do that? Um, because it's all of us. Yeah. Right? The ministry, the least amount of ministry should be done in the pulpit. Right? That's, that's a time for encouragement. And, <laughs> oh, you know, man. A calling together yeah. and a reading God's word together and just being sort of built up and taking part with all the saints yeah. in God's story. Um to then go out and be Christ where we're at, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, per, I'm working in sales right now, right? I'm a yeah. sales guy, and but I'm here doing this podcast and I'm meeting with guys. I meet with you and those right. guys pretty much every week. Well, usually every usually. week. Lately, it's been rough. <laughs> but um, meeting with guys back in Utah, you know, and that's not a oh look at what I'm doing thing. That's a, that that's just what I've learned over the past yeah. three or four years. Constantly looking for a way to do ministry. It's like, dude. It's not going to be your job right now. Right. You're going to work in sales and provide for that freeloading wife. Let's <laughs> not be her sugar baby when she's a dentist. But, um, but it's like you're going to do this job, and you're going to have to be serious about this. You have to commit to doing that. And it's like, okay, this is being in a church, right? Not being a pastor, being in the church. And that's where ministry happens. Mm. So, um yeah just like don't wait on other people to do that yeah right you don't have to wait on anyone if there's something in your head going yeah we should do this do it do it we should start this start it yeah right you can do that right now yeah put a group text together we have the most communication we've ever had in, in human history so um yeah let's let's take personal responsibility to go do that and really ask ourselves these questions like mm. what does god's story mean to me mm. how am i going to put my phone away and actually be with God and talk with God yeah. and think about that. Yeah. Um, Meet with Him as a person, not as a thing. Yeah. Sorry, just get, that's that comes in, starting to get into practical steps, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Not the harder podcast, but it's good to have practical steps. It, like it is good. Information overload, man. Yeah. Put the phone away. Put podcast away. Put music on. Feel again. Yeah. Right, and then let God speak to you and go into that. Oh man, yeah. There's a lot of noise out there. Yeah. Uh, screw tape letters. Uh, screw tape says we're going to make the whole universe a great noise in the end. Yeah. What a terrifying thing. Yeah. He says. Uh, he says in heaven they only have two things: uh, music and silence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's it's putting putting the noise away and the distractions away and living deliberately. And um, I mean, in your story, like you were drawn into this divine life through a small group of guys who were committed to doing that. And so you've tasted and seen that, like the fruit of of that life. And now like you're longing for the immensity of the sea. And because you are, you're diligent in like living that out. Um, and so for us, like my like closing thoughts on how we can do all this practically is... Uh, yeah, um, find time to meet together with a few, just a few people, and know their stories, and um, do things uh, like discipleship bands, like asking, like, how is your soul? Mm-hmm. What are your successes and failures? What uh, secrets do you have? Like, you get that's a that's an open window into their story, and then like mm-hmm. Bonhoeffer says, my brother's Christ is stronger than the Christ in me, and then uh, you're able to like speak into their lives. Um, second thing, practically, I would say is read the gospel as a story. We we've got uh, in our quiet times, we typically only read like a chapter here, a chapter there. Like find a Saturday morning and read through the whole gospel of Mark. 
Yeah. Like when like don't read a big chunk of scripture and don't take notes. And don't take notes. Just read, read it. Yeah. Read it as a story and it will hit you differently. Yeah. Um and then the la- the last thing I would say is um uh yeah, cur- curate your media and the stories that you're consuming. You become the stories you consume. Yes. And uh and so aim for stories that um and, and capture truth, goodness and beauty. And it'll make your heart heart come alive. Hundred um, percent. So, last thing I want to say: be willing to be wrong. Right? Like you're saying, meet with guys and have yeah. your peers. Guess what? You're wrong about a lot. <laughs> the, the first step is starting, right? And yeah. having people around you you trust to tell you wrong. Because, like I said, we I spent years trying to figure out what job thing I was missing to do ministry, and it took being around a bunch of good people to help me see it's not going to be a job but this is still what you're built to do right and um the first step is just being willing to be wrong Hmm. that allows you to take that first step in freedom Hmm. so yeah and guess what we are (laughs) pretty much always right yeah uh, the Carl Bart, everybody look up Carl Bart. The angels laugh at old Carl for thinking he can understand. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, man. Yeah. But best quote by a theologian ever. It's, yeah. But, yeah. I think that's all I got, William. I think that's it, man. Well, Nathan, thanks for joining me, brother. Thanks for having it's, me, bud. Uh, it's, a, it's a delight to have you on the podcast, man, after my own heart. And I'm looking forward to when we can do it again. 100%. Hopefully sooner than later. Hopefully sooner. Yeah. All right, man. Love you, brother. Love you too. Peace. Peace.